Let's listen to Logan Allen, CPA on YouTube, October 21st stimulus update. struck yesterday so as a result as i promised yesterday today at 12 30 p.m pacific time 3 30 p.m eastern time i will be doing a live stream here on youtube in which i ingest this super spicy uh packy chip packy chip uh if you want some entertainment before that you can type packy p-a-q-u-i chip into youtube and watch people eat this thing it is definitely not a pretty sight so uh, I'm going to be doing that today, 12.30 p.m. Pacific, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the channel. Be sure to tune in then. If you can't make it then, a replay will be available on the channel. All right, stimulus. Like I said, no deal was struck yesterday between Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. The pair spoke for 45 minutes, and it seems that they moved on from the COVID-19 tracing and testing and that kind of language. And now they're back to arguing over liability protection, which Democrats do not want in any new bill, and also state and local aid. These are the two poison pills perceived by the respective parties that they have disagreed with for a long time now. Nevertheless, Pelosi's spokesperson said that Pelosi and Mnuchin continue to find common ground as they move toward an agreement, and that committee chairs will work to resolve differences about funding levels as well as specific language, and that Pelosi and Mnuchin will continue their discussion this afternoon when Mnuchin gets back to the United States from his delegation in the Middle East. Mark Meadows, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who used to be in these stimulus talks, along with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, but who is not directly involved right now. Meadows was on CNBC yesterday afternoon and claimed that good progress has been made, but that negotiations are still several hundred billion dollars apart, and the pair are especially divided over the longstanding issue of how much money to allocate to state and local government funding. That has been a thorn in the side of stimulus for quite some time now. Meadows said that Trump doesn't really care about the top-line dollar amount. He just wants a deal. Trump himself was on Fox and Friends yesterday and reiterated his claim that he wants an even bigger stimulus than Democrats, and that though not every Republican agrees with them, he thinks that they will come along eventually. He also expressed that he believes that Mitch McConnell will be on board if a deal is struck. So let's talk about the Senate and Mitch McConnell, who's just... You know, he's just being Mitch. Yesterday, he put the standalone PPP legislation up for a vote. As we all knew beforehand, this legislation did, in fact, fail to get the 60 votes required for cloture. It failed 57 votes to 40. Promising, though, is five Democrats joined in and voted to advance this bill, saying others. There's a glimmer of bipartisan light in the Senate, it seems. But it's certainly not coming from Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, obviously a Democrat, who said that this move by McConnell was simply a show vote on coronavirus relief. Today, McConnell will engage in a similar maneuver for a new stimulus skinny bill. Half a trillion dollars as the unemployment extension, a little bit of school funding, a little bit of health care funding, a little bit of assistance for small businesses, no stimulus checks in there. It's 90% the same as the previous Republican skinny bill. This thing is going to fail in the Senate today as well, so I'm not going to waste uh, any breath on that uh, skinny bill. Now, What's more concerning is that yesterday, Mitch McConnell said that even if Pelosi and Mnuchin do reach a deal, the Senate should wait to vote on it 
until after the election. He made these comments in a closed-door lunch with Republican colleagues, suggesting that Nancy Pelosi is not negotiating in good faith with Secretary Mnuchin and that any deal they reach could disrupt the confirmation process of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Now, this late in the game, with Pelosi's 48-hour deadline out there that she kind of backpedaled on. I'll talk about that in a second. But just realistically, the election was a mere 14 days away from yesterday when McConnell made these comments, 13 days away from today. So it's not like McConnell's statement here was a huge heartbreak, right? But it just continues to reveal an extremely lackadaisical, passionless attitude towards stimulus out of the GOP Senate. McConnell did say that if a deal passes the House and has Trump's support, that he would put it on the Senate floor at some point without specifying exactly when. Pelosi was on Bloomberg TV yesterday denying that she is stringing Republicans along here on stimulus for her own devices. She said she wouldn't even be talking to Mnuchin if she didn't earnestly believe that they could get something done. But she kind of backpedaled on her 48-hour deadline that we've talked about on the channel. When asked about it, she said, you know, it isn't that it was this day or that day. It wasn't that, you know, today's the day where we had to have a deal. It's a day where we wanted to get our terms on the table to be able to go to the next step, right? And we'll still continue the negotiation. Might not be finished by election day. So kind of backpedaling there on that hard 48-hour deadline uh, she previously gave. She says if we want to build for the election, it needs to be written by the end of the week and move through Congress next week. So let's timeline this out here. Let's say best-case scenario, Mnuchin and Pelosi reach a deal tomorrow or Friday. Staff work through the weekend, putting the finishing touches on, you know, a language to put up in the House. Bill is released Monday morning. Now remember, the House of Representatives has a 72-hour rule, meaning that a bill cannot be voted on unless it's been released for at least 72 hours beforehand. So that would make the earliest a House vote could happen under this truly best-case scenario here I've just described sometime next Wednesday, October uh, 28th, which is only six days before the election. And this doesn't even get into the Senate, right? A Senate whose majority leader is saying he doesn't want to vote on this before the election, right? So this just sucks, right? But that is where we are right now as of October 21st, all right? And that was just a best, absolute best case scenario. They're assuming that Mnuchin and Pelosi can reach a deal, okay? Um, all right, folks, that is my stimulus update for today. Uh, be sure to tune in in a few hours at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time to watch me uh, ingest this hacky chip because a stimulus deal uh, was not reached yesterday. Uh, Pelosi appears to have backed off of that 48-hour deadline, but uh, I am keeping my word. I will see you then. Thank you so much for watching. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was early in the morning, it sounds like, for him. Well, he's on the West Coast, so that must have been sometime this morning, or yesterday morning, Thursday morning. It's now 1.18 a.m. Friday. Oh, wait, let's listen to... 
though the time is so short and the deadline is coming on, but the talks were going well with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. But now Speaker we're hearing Pelosi this from the majority leader. What's going on? Talks. Well, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, I think we have a prospect uh, for an agreement. I do not believe that our timetable has come and gone. We had a purpose in the timetable, which is that we would establish where we were. Freeze the design on your position. No more discussion about that and that. What is your position? And that is what we are coming to conclusion about now. There's some delay on the part of Republicans about the appropriations piece of it, but I hope that will be resolved. The secretary will be back in conversation with us later today, and hopefully that will be resolved. So it's just a question then of weighing the equities. Is this worth that? And, uh, but we do need more money, and we needed it to be spent in a way to crush the virus, and they finally have arrived at that after all these months, and we have more that we can do. My view is that there's no reason that America's schools shouldn't be the safest place in America for our children to go to learn. How you, it takes some money. The more classes, more teachers, more ventilation, more uh, uh, technology and the rest, it, but it takes not that much more money to make it safe. If children can go to school, children learning, parents earning, parents can go to work. And if not, we have to have more childcare, and that's part of our discussion right now. But I'm optimistic because even with what Mitch McConnell says, we don't want to do it before uh, the election, but let's keep working so that we can do it after the election. We want it before. But again, I want people to know help is on the way. It will be bigger, it will be better, it will be safer, and it will be retroactive. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. The president has said he wants an even bigger deal than the Democrats, and he acknowledges not every Republican agrees with him, but he said that they will. You know, what are, what are you hearing? Can you, can you, are you confident the president is going to go, on, go along with what you and Secretary Mnuchin are talking about? Well, I wouldn't even be having these discussions if we didn't think the president had some sway as to whether the Senate would take this legislation up. Uh, the uh, election is coming soon. Uh, we know that the new Congress and new president are just two and a half months away. Uh, we don't want to wait that long. We want to get something done uh, for the American people as soon as possible. Our bill is over five months old. They finally came to the table. Uh, and I think that, I think, well, it's up to the president uh, to convince people in his own party. But you have to also remember how hard that is because some of them really don't care to spend any more money to crush fire, uh, to make our schools safe, to honor our heroes, to put money in the pockets of the American people that is so needed. But I'm, again, I'm optimistic. Uh, th there will be a bill. It's a question of is it time to pay the November rent, which is my goal, or is it going to be shortly thereafter and retroactive? So uh, again, we're in a better place than we have been. And the goal that we had for up until last night was for us to stake out our positions so that it's no more movement. And then again, uh, come to an agreement. I'm optimistic. And I know the staff has been working on actual language for the last couple of days, so you've gotten quite a head start, and that's a big lift. But have you gotten anywhere on big obstacles like state and local government, which was so important to you and the Democrats in, in Congress, yeah. and which the president was you know, railing against? Frankly. Well, a couple of the things that are still outstanding are, of course, 
the amount that we would spend on state and local, honoring our heroes, our healthcare workers, our first responders, police and fire, food workers, transportation, sanitation, our teachers, our teachers, our teachers. Well, that sounds optimistic. She did say retroactive, but she didn't say till when. But she's talking about um, May when she mentioned how long they've been waiting, how long they've been ready with their bill, the Democrats. So... <laughs> If they make stimulus retroactive for five, going back five months, that's, that's decent. It's, uh, maybe a little too late for a lot of people because, like I keep saying, there are so many hurting people, people that are just, um, crushed. She's, Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi is saying crush the virus. There are so many people that are just now, their spirits are crushed. They just don't know which way to turn. And we all have to do the best that we can to support not only the essential workers, but neighbors, friends, and Wherever we can, we, if we can only just uh, smile, that's, that's a charity right there. That will lift someone's spirits there. But if we can do anything more, um, donate a mask or a pair of gloves or something like that for, to an essential worker, they just love that. They are so grateful. But again, their spirits are just, just crushed because they're trying to take care of us and they don't have what they need to do it. And it's, it just makes them so angry. Um, they're just angry and upset because they are real professionals and they are in their profession as a calling. They don't see it as a job. So if we can only just remember to give them a smile, that's good enough. If we can just encourage them with a word, that's even better. If we can, like I said, give them a, a mask or a pair of gloves, a box of Kleenex or Whatever little bit that we can do, they are grateful. They really are grateful, but many of our essential workers have lost hours. Their weekly hours cut back, and um, their businesses run have ran out of PPP funding. So... They're trying to keep their doors open. They're trying to take care of all of us. And like I say, the least we could do is offer them a kind word. Oh, Nancy Pelosi is still speaking. 
just listening there. surprised that he would be projecting his own vulnerability onto other people. I'm sure there's more to come on this. That's why it's always been important to see the president's tax returns, not in terms of how rich he is and the rest. Okay, he misrepresents that, but what else is new? But the fact is, is what is the source of those funds and what is the obligation of them? And that's a national security matter. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. Well, Okay, you guys already know, I, uh, like Michelle Obama, I hate politics. <laughs> I hate politics. <laughs> and when they take our tax dollars, and then when something like this happens, a pandemic, and they leave our country just in the dust that I just there's nothing good about that nothing I good I can think to say about that okay And by, I will see what else here. There's anything else here we, that we need to hear. Hmm. Well, I know I had one article that may have been later than, um, Maybe, maybe later. Okay, here Pelosi gets heated. No, that must be something older. It's really old news there. Uh oh. Tapped the wrong thing. Uh oh. Let's check it with the Law and Crime Network. Because these politics are bringing out the worst in me. I, I tell you the truth. I just cannot stand it. I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate Speaker Pelosi and everyone else that works really hard and does an impossible job with an impossible circumstances I appreciate that but all the back and forth and whew, wasting their time dragging their feet knowing People have to pay their bills. People have to feed their family. Hmm. Yeah, there was.
was um I have to go over and jump through a few more hoops to find that article that I think it was in my news feed maybe here. Uh, see if that's up to date. There was an article on Nancy Pelosi and was not a video but a written article on the stimulus. Um, it may not be available anymore. Sometimes after you read the articles online, wait, New York Times, Pelosi says uh, deal may wait until after the election. She's a really smart lady. She knows how to get them to move. She knows what to say to get them to move. Hmm. New York Times, nytimes.com by Emily Cochran and Luke Broadwater. It's a one minute, six second video during her weekly news conference, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she and Steven Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, were, quote, close, close, end quote, to reaching a compromise in negotiations for a coronavirus relief package. Stefani Reynolds for the New York Times reporting. All right, let's see if the video says anything.
Well, she's in a mask. She has her face mask on. So it wasn't easy to understand it, but it was basically what she told And Andrea Mitchell in the last video of their clothes. And the same thing about her and Mnuchin and the rest. It's all basically the same. Now we have a written narrative from the NY Times reporter. It says, Speaker Nancy Pelosi of California was non-committal on Thursday about bringing a stimulus measure to the House floor for a vote before the November 3rd, before November 3, noting that even though a deal with the Trump administration appeared to be coming together, quote, it takes time, close quote, to transform it into legislation. At her weekly news conference, Ms. Pelosi said she believed she and Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, were, quote, just about there, close quote, in their negotiations to reach a compromise, although she said they had yet to agree on the two biggest sticking points. The White House is resisting Democrats' push for $500 billion for state and local governments, while Democrats have balked at Republicans' demands for liability protections for schools, hospitals, and businesses open during the pandemic. Let's get the full article. Even if the pair were to reach agreement on those issues, Ms. Pelosi said there was no guarantee it could be passed before Election Day. Quote, it's not just a question of us agreeing in a room. End quote. Ms. Pelosi said, noting that the process of writing any deal into legislative language and having the Congressional Budget Office go through it to determine an official cost could be lengthy, quote, it takes time, close quote. But she continued to maintain public optimism that an agreement could be reached and signed into law. She brushed aside public warnings from Republican senators who have said they are unlikely to support a bill anywhere near as costly as the emerging compromise and have suggested that there are not even the minimal 13 Republican votes needed to join all Democrats to advance the legislation. Quote, I do believe that both sides 
want to reach an agreement, Miss Pelosi said. I can't answer for the disarray on the Senate side, end quote. President Trump, who has vacillated between urging Congress, quote, go big, end quote, in stimulus talks and shunning a deal on Wednesday preemptively blamed Democrats for the lack of a deal, suggesting that their push for state and local aid was standing in the way. Quote, just don't see any way Nancy Pelosi and Ryan Chuck Schumer will be willing to do what is right for our great American workers or our wonderful USA itself on stimulus. Mr. Trump wrote on Twitter, quote, their primary focus is bailing out poorly run and high crime democratic cities and states. What a... Oof. Oh, boy. In the Capitol later on Thursday, Miss Pelosi said Democrats had sent, quote, some stuff back over, close quote, to the administration and she expected top committee chairs, quote, will resolve some differences, but that hasn't happened yet, close quote. Quote, that's what we're waiting for, she added. But some lawmakers and aides said it was still unclear what Miss Pelosi and Mr. Mnuchin have agreed to, and that that information is necessary in order to set the parameters for committee discussions. Senator Richard C. Shelby of Alabama, the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, telling reporters on Thursday there was, quote, a lot of talk, no action, close quote. And that's the end, people. See, this is, um, this could be boiled down to maybe one or two sentences. Everything else is just, uh, grandstanding and political posturing. Uh, it's just hypocrisy. Honestly, it doesn't mean anything because we can, we can read between the lines. They're sending a signal to whoever uh, wants to horse trade something with them. That's what these uh, people that are standing on the sidelines making the 
American public suffer. They're doing that because they want to trade something. They want something in exchange for something. They don't want to do their job and look after the people in their district. It's all about them, their egos, their big fat wallets getting fatter and fatter and just leaving the rest of the country to just barely survive. People cannot take care of their families. But these fat cats, they don't care. They could care less. You know, like I was saying before, if this is the way they feel about it, just don't tax the country. Don't don't tax us. Just don't take our money under the pretense that they're going to manage it and apply it to our needs. This is why I say, you know, I I just know. I vote because there's so many people that spilled their blood for the right for, for citizens to be able to vote. But I'm I'm telling you the truth. It's not because I believe in a politician. Once in a while, there there will be someone that comes along like Biden. And like I said, for decades I learned politicians. I learned about government and politics from listening to straight shooters like Biden, McCain, and so many others. And it did not matter to me whether they were Republican, Democrat, even Bernie Sanders, when he was independent, I would listen to him, listen to him, the ones that would explain things so I could understand it. That was, that was all that I required. I had voted for people from all different parties, (laughs) so I don't, I don't really care what their party is, what their race is, their religion, none of that. If they can explain things so that I can understand it and other citizens can understand it and they can follow up, take action, and nobody expects them to move mountains and do what no human can do, We understand their job is difficult. That's why they're paid six figures and beyond. But, um, you know, just lately, this, this is unacceptable. This, what we've seen in the last four years, but especially since the pandemic hit, this is unacceptable. And... Not many people will disagree with that. I mean, there are some people that are only interested in posturing and um, uh, what you might call, you know, a sort of like a pep rally and a 
elementary, junior high school, or high school pep rally and scrimmage and that kind of foolishness. No, that has its place, but we are adults. We have lost too many family members, friends, associates. We have too many people in our communities that can hardly survive and they have just been holding holding it down but it's it's not promised that they can continue on like that you see so <laughs> that's that's when I you could fry an egg on my head sometimes when I think about how things have been going lately with Washington and how they have mismanaged things. So, yeah, it takes a lot for me to get there, but <laughs> it's just some things are obvious. You just don't play with people's lives. You don't play with their health or their livelihood, their ability to take care of their family, that's no, mm -mm. that's just uh, beyond sickening. Okay, CBS has an upbeat article, a 14-year-old girl wins $25,000 prize for research on potential coronavirus here. Alrighty, the article explain it. Uh, more political ads. Oh, a budding scientist from Frisco, Texas, hopes to one day save lives with her research on a potential treatment for the coronavirus, Anika Chebrolu, Chebrolu, 14, was named the winner of the 2020 3M Young Scientist Challenge, a competition for middle school scientists. The 8th graders project won her a $25,000 cash prize. Quote, I isolated a lead or lead compound from a database of almost 698 million molecules. <laughs> Close quote said, Che Brulé, That discovery which she hopes will lead to a new weapon against COVID-19 began two years ago while Che Brolu was researching the Spanish flu pandemic. Quote, I just wanted to help the world and let children know that they can do whatever 
they want to accomplish. Close quote, she said. While the teen hopes to be a medical researcher and professor in the future, she is already doing grown-up work and inspiring a generation to reach for the stars. First published on October 21st at 10.25 p.m. Well, that is just wonderful. Let's hear Nora O'Donnell speak. Oh, okay, that's old news. She's reporting before the debates. Oh, I don't even want to hear another another news clip on that debate. That just... Oh. What else is good news? 15,000 expected at National Mall in D.C. for worship protests. Russian hackers targeting state and local governments have stolen data, U.S. officials. Moon will pay Jupiter a Saturday visit tonight. Oh. Space.com is reporting, look up. The moon will pay Jupiter and Saturn a visit tonight by Joe Rao, 15 hours ago. The best views will come about an hour after sunset. They have a picture that says the moon, Jupiter, and Saturn will form a triangle in the sky on the evening of October 22nd, 2020. I did see a half moon, but I didn't even notice anything else. Oh my goodness. Sky watchers will be treated to an eye-catching gathering in the south-southwest sky about an hour after sunset on Thursday, October 22nd. A large triangle formed by the moon and two bright superior planets. (laughs) A superior planet is one that is located in an orbit around the sun that is beyond that of Earth. The planets in question are Jupiter and Saturn, which have attracted the attention of sky watchers all through the summer and early fall. Of course, these close alignments are merely an illusion of perspective. Our moon is much 
closer in space to us than is either Jupiter or Saturn as it orbits Earth. The moon moves in an easterly direction across the sky at roughly its own apparent diameter, 0.5 degrees each hour or approximately 12 degrees per day. Your clenched fist held at arm's length covers about 10 degrees of sky. Currently, Jupiter and Saturn are located in the zodiacal constellation of Sagittarius. Oh, positioned above and to the left of the popular quote teapot quote asterism. The two planets are now separated by about six degrees, but they'll be getting a lot closer to each other in the days and weeks to come as we get closer to their so-called, quote, great conjunction, close quote, in late December. Thursday nights, Thursday nights, rendezvous between the moon, Jupiter, and Saturn will be an eye-catching sight which probably will attract the attention even of those who don't normally pay much attention to the night sky beginning about an hour after sunset cast your eyes about a quarter of the way up from the south southwest horizon there you will find a wide crescent galileo galilei using His, wait a minute. Oh, I've lost my space. What happened to my page? <laughs> uh oh, where is my, my page? Cast your eyes about a quarter of the way up from the south, southwest horizon. Uh oh, they did it again. <laughs> There you will find a wide crescent moon hovering about four degrees to the lower left of brilliant Jupiter. And if you use a telescope or even steadily held binoculars, you can also catch a view of all four famous Galilean satellites which were first viewed in 1610 by Galileo Galilei using his crude homemade telescope. 
one satellite stand by itself on one side of Jupiter, that will be Callisto. Meanwhile, on the opposite side will be the three other Galilean moons. Moving out from Jupiter will be Europa, Lo, and Ganymede. <laughs> oh my goodness. Saturn, Lord of the Rings. Yep, that's right. The moon will also team up with the ringed wonder of the solar system, Saturn. Just look about 4.5 degrees to the moon's upper left and you'll see a bright yellowish white star shining with a steady sedate glow. That will be Saturn. Oh my goodness. When a telescope or large binoculars with at least 20 power magnification are trained on Saturn, one immediately sees that here is a planet that stands out from the others thanks to its magnificent, magnificent system of rings like the four big moons of Jupiter. The rings were first seen by Galileo, though because he was using a crude telescope, he could not make out what they actually were as seen through Galileo's telescope. Saturn seemed to have an oval shape. He at first thought there were two motionless moons on either side of the planet. But when Saturn turned its rings edgewise toward Earth, the moons completely vanished and Galileo was faced with a mystery he never solved. <laughs> oh. Currently the rings are steadily seen even in small instruments because their north face is tilted 21 degrees to our line of sight. They are composed of countless billions of icy particles. All three worlds, the moon, Jupiter, and Saturn, will be in good view until about 9 p.m. local time. But as they get progressively lower in the southwest sky, they might become obscured by buildings or trees, so it's probably best to catch them during the earlier part of the night when the trio appears higher in the sky. They will set around 11 p.m. Joe Rao serves as an instructor and guest lecturer at New York's Hayden Planetarium, he writes about 
Astronomy for Natural History magazine, the Farmer's Almanac, and other publications. Follow us on Twitter at space.com and on Facebook. Join our space forums to keep talking space on the latest missions, night sky, and more. And if you have a news tip, correction, or comment, let us know at community at space.com. Oh my goodness, there's another article. The Orionid Meteor Shower Peaks Tonight. (laughs) And they tell you how to see it. Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, Recap, Burnham Finally Makes Contact. I want to hear this. Burnham Finally Makes Contact. Oh, let's hear this video on Star Trek. Dodgy dealings ensue in an old mining settlement saloon as Star Trek Discovery takes on a western tone in episode 2 of season 3. Oh. It's not going to play. It's not a video. It's just a picture. Maybe this link might play. I'm not sure. No, they have a bunch of but no video on Star Trek oh man oh well that was space.com if you're inclined to be a space cadet like some of the rest of us After Spain, France surpasses 1 million COVID cases. Oh boy. Well. Quote, selfish and reckless, close quote. More than 700 economists strongly oppose Trump's re-election. Yeah, that's what they report here in 
CNN Business, more than 700 economists, including seven Nobel Prize winners, are urgently warning against the election against the re-election of President Donald Trump, citing what they describe as a quote sustained assault close quote on democracy a fumbled response to the pandemic yeah and the spread of quote dangerous misinformation in a in just one term in office Donald Trump has rendered the United States unrecognizable and has faced no consequences for doing so, close quote. The Economist wrote in an open letter, which is being updated until the November 3rd election. The letter was signed by prominent economists from major institutions, including Nobel laureates Paul Milgram, 2020, and Oliver Hart, 2016, and Alvin Roth, 2012, George Akerlof, the Nobel-winning husband of former Federal Reserve Chief Janet Yellen, also signed the letter, quote, for these reasons, we strongly recommend that the electorate do what no one else can do, reclaim your democracy by voting to remove Donald Trump from office. Close quote. The economist wrote, in response, the Trump campaign noted that the letter says little about Joe Biden, the president's opponent. Quote, it speaks volumes that in their baseless admonition of President Trump, these left-wing academics couldn't name a single reason why they believe Joe Biden would do anything positive for the American economy. Quote, and then they, they give someone's name I refuse to use. The Trump campaign's deputy, blah, blah, told CN, CNN Business. That's the usual. Don't take any responsibility. Just deflect and demean and degrade everybody and everything. Trump has claimed that he is the better candidate. Oh, please. Well... This is a waste of breath. I'm not even going to read anymore. Because we've had, uh, we've been here before. We've had a taste of this medicine before. The last election, there were plenty of Nobel laureates and economists and psychiatrists, psychologists, everybody else warning. Wanting to stand down, 
Dan Clear or that guy. And Hillary won the popular vote by 